and thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast, episode 138, A Horoscope to Die For. Adolf Hitler was raised Catholic by his mother, yet by his own words, he did not believe in God or the devil, good or evil. What he did believe in was himself and his words. First, the words. If I approach the masses with reasoned arguments, they will not understand me. In the mass meeting, their reasoning power is paralyzed. What I say is like an order given under hypnosis. And in 1933 and afterward, what set Hitler apart from most of the other powerful men in history was his access and use of the radio and loudspeakers. During his campaigns and ever after, a truck with loudspeakers loaded on top, blaring out the Führer's messages, was a familiar sight on the streets of Berlin and other major German cities. But this gift of speech was not a product of dark forces, but rather a combination of Hitler's personality, his way of speaking, how he viewed the world, and his drive. But more on this in a moment. What has been proven over and over is that when Hitler spoke, certainly before becoming leader in 1933, there were people in the crowd who not only felt that he was speaking to them, but more importantly, he was speaking for them, addressing their concerns, their fears, and their hopes. Many people have studied public speaking, but the art of it seems to have come naturally to Adolf like an athlete who has naturally good and eye hand coordination. It was the science of addressing crowds that Eckhart instilled, which finished off Hitler's talent. But the other part of this was Hitler's will, his personality, his belief, whether it was based on reality or not, and truth be told, it most assuredly was not. But again, irrelevant. He believed he was born for great things, that he would save Germany and take it to great heights. So when he spoke, that belief, that conviction, came through. Quite simply, it was his Weltanschung, his worldview. Only at the end, as the Allies were closing in on Berlin, did that faith in himself probably begin to shake. And even then, he blamed others and gave orders that all of Germany was to be destroyed. For why should anyone else be allowed to possess the fatherland? Fortunately, for millions of people, Albert Speer, given this task, did not follow through. Another indication of Hitler's personal power was his attractiveness to women. No looker he, still, the women around him would constantly speak of his eyes and how they felt in his presence. For Hitler had several lovers— He took advantage of his position and preeminence, as any human would. The point is, these women were not looking at him and seeing a physically attractive man. They saw power, passion, safety, a man with a purpose, their savior, their country's savior. For that is what he emoted. It didn't matter that at his very core, he was insane, or at the very least, wrong in thinking that he had been chosen by some higher power or was the vessel of that higher power. He was the king of every room he was in, and as such, when he left, everyone felt 
more fatigued than when he came in. That is power, but on a personal level, nothing more. Thus far, Hitler has been shown to have the ability to charm a person with his conviction-laden personality, as well as wooing women with his man-of-destiny shtick that leaves us with crowd control. There was nothing unique about 1930s Germany to explain Hitler's sway over many of them before becoming the country's leader in 1933. Simply, the order tapped into their pride, their fear of persecution, their insecurities, all collectively, instead of their intellect. He also made them feel a part of something bigger, that they belonged. And while every person or group seeks this tribalism, it also made it easier for the Nazi party to herd them and then control the masses. To persuade one was to persuade many. But it must never be forgotten, nor allowed to be repeated, that one of Hitler's main tools was the country's hatred of the Jews. The country's economic weakness was not the Jews' fault, nor the country's defeat in the Great War. Yet Hitler accessed the collective prejudice or hatred against this group to heap the country's ills on them. And the people, in not wanting to think the problems were of their doing or to take on the Herculean task of fixing said problems, went along with Hitler's diagnosis and solution. The Jews and their removal. To be sure, there are few examples in history of a leader gathering his or her fellow citizens around them with expressions of love or understanding. Mahatma Gandhi is one exception that comes to mind. No, normally it is feelings of hatred, fear, or revenge that binds a disparate group of peoples together. And as such, action is called for, or in this case, reaction. The Jews must be laid low, as should Germany's enemies. And what also was intertwined in all this was extremism. There's no room for moderation. The Jews must be wiped out. All foreign enemies must be subjugated. Europe must come under the Nazi heel. And it's this kind of thinking that begs the question, wasn't there another way for Germany to retake its place among the European nations as an equal. But obviously, with a man like Hitler now in charge with his Nazi party, the answer was no. To quote Hitler directly, it's good fortune for the government that the masses don't think, otherwise human society as we know it might cease to exist. But now, let's move away from such weighty topics and have a little fun. Let's take two groups that are fascinating throughout history, the Romans and the Nazis, not that I'm comparing the two, and bring in the pseudoscience of astrology, but only to use it to disprove the supposed supernatural forces circling Adolf Hitler and his rise to power. Back in 1923, after Hitler took control of the German Workers' Party, but before the Beerhaut putched, an admirer of Hitler's wrote a letter to Frau Elsbeth Epperton, the country's leading amateur astrologer. The sender of the note, no one of note, pardon the pun, had heard Hitler speak and just knew 
he was destined for great things. Moreover, she was sure he would become the nation's leader. She wanted to tell her fellow countrymen about her discovery. And what better way to convince all of his fate than to put his character before them all? This was to be done by having Frau Epperton draw up the man's horoscope, as she had only given the man's date of birth, April 20th, 1889, and his place of birth, Braunau am in Austria. His name was not enclosed. The seer of Gorlitz, as Epperton was known, got to work. Yet the horoscope she put together was not simply one that told of the man's personality or character. No, she created a progressed horoscope to predict his prospects for a specific period in his life. So she was using pseudoscience to focus in on one phase of someone's life, thus moving herself even further from reality. However, what she found was fascinating. Publishing the results in her 1924 edition of her almanac, A Glimpse into the Future, she put forth that this person was a radical political activist, but one that did not need the assistance of dark forces, but that he only had to use the predetermined opportunities in front of him, i.e., the nation's woes. But this begs the question, predetermined by whom? No doubt Hitler, a true believer in horoscopes, would have appreciated this. Why? Because it was his intelligence and his words that were steering a course through Germany's low point, not some demon who wanted to use him to increase the world's agony. But how does one believe in astrology to the point of using it to make future military decisions, and not in other forms of the supernatural? That's why they call it insanity. I will just share a part of her explanation that I'm sure pleased the woman who sent the request to Epperton. Quote, his constellations show that this man is to be taken very seriously indeed. He is destined to play a fewer role in future battles. The man I have in mind with his strong Aries influence is fated to sacrifice himself for the German nation with audacity and courage. So she was half right. Something would be sacrificed. To explain Hitler's horoscope, that is, to put it into words, would take 30 minutes, and honestly, would not make much sense. To sum up, it paints a picture of a neurotic, self-centered personality whose overriding need to overcome feelings of failure shows itself. So, Frau Elsbeth Eberton, not bad. But later, when Eberton found out whose horoscope she had drawn up, she went back and tweaked it to find that Hitler would be Germany's savior. Yes, she was a fan. However, other contemporary astrologers created their own horoscopes, and in them was a description of a man who could influence events and even ride high for a while, but then would come crashing down with Germany in tow. It was the second group that tried to get word to politicians and other prominent persons of the threat of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party, but their words went unheeded. So Hitler comes to power and war comes to Europe. 
But before France fell to the Wehrmacht, and this speedy collapse came as a result of Germany reversing the access point of its invasion from the Great War, the Nazis attempted to undermine the confidence of the people of the Low Countries with pre-battle psychological warfare. Dropped over the soon-to-be victims were leaflets that contained Nazi interpretations of the prophecies made by Nostradamus. Along with these were completely fake astrological predictions of the coming future German victories. Which, of course, does not sufficiently explain the incredible German victory, or rather French defeat, that follows. The latter is probably better clarified by the already weakened French state, racked with defeatism, superior German tactics, and, again, their surprise penetration just above the still incompleted Maginot Line, instead of along the coast, thus cutting off many French troops, as well as the British Expeditionary Force, from Paris. However, if the Nazis' psychological war did contribute to their victories in the West, then that credit should go to Magda Goebbels, the wife of the Minister of Propaganda and Enlightenment. She had read a book that interpreted one of Nostradamus's 400-year-old verses that foretold of Germany's victory. The French seer even got the year right, according to Dr. Kreitzinger, the author, if you interpret the verse correctly. Still, a victory was a victory, and this was Hitler's greatest achievement to date. Alas, Dr. Kreitzinger was appalled when he was summoned to the office of Dr. Goebbels. He despised the Nazis, so put on his best absent-minded professor routine, which worked. Still, Goebbels was intrigued, so he found himself another astrologer, Karl Kraft. To his credit, Kraft, who already worked for the Nazis, by drawing up the horoscopes for the likes of Churchill, FDR, and others the German war machine believed they would be facing in the future, had predicted that an attempt would be made on Hitler's life, just days before a bomb exploded at the Munich Beer Hall, where the Nazis were gathering to toast their lost comrades back in 1923, when Hitler had attempted to seize power in that city. Fortunately, Hitler had left before the bomb went off on the platform that he was standing. Some anti-Nazi Germans believed that the party had planted the bomb themselves to then blame it on the Poles, who Germany was about to attack. However, Given the limitations of time-delayed bombs of the period, that would have been one hell of a risk. Still, the Nazi elite were now impressed with Kraft, who was officially brought on board within the propaganda ministry. However, as Kraft was unable to duplicate his success with predictions, he was sent to the Buchenwald concentration camp by 1942, and he would die just before the war ended. As for the British, in the latter half of 1940, being at a low point, after the Dunkirk disaster and numerous supply ships being lost to the wolf packs, they turned to one of the more basic laws of the jungle. When all else fails, fight fire with fire. For London was well acquainted with Berlin's mystics, as leaflets had been dropped over London, along with the bombs setting up their own covert group to dissemble propaganda 
which, let's be honest, anyone can lie, it was felt that something more was needed. Hence, one Louis de Wool, a Hungarian astrologer, was brought in. He would be given a specific task, but what really made the British decide to use him was his claim that he could predict what advice Karl Kraft would be giving to Hitler, his generals, and his admirals, as he, Wohl, had run into and clashed with Kraft professionally, which was the second best thing, the first being to be able to read Hitler's mind directly. To quote Hamlet, I see a cherub that sees them. But to up his stock even more, during his interview, Wohl told the British that no less than Dr. Goebbels himself had offered him a position in the propaganda ministry. That clinched the deal. Wohl got to work, and it must be admitted, the idea was clever. This covert group would publish issues of a fake astrology magazine, Der Zenit. With the dates pushed back, the astrologer of the periodical would make accurate predictions of things that had already happened. With the bona fides of Der Zenit established, future issues would predict future Nazi reversals in the Atlantic, in the East, and in North Africa. It was hoped, once these were secretly sent to German-occupied countries, that German morale would suffer. However, all was for naught, as the Gestapo found several cases and not only destroyed them, but figured out the entire ruse. Still, the Hungarian astrologer was on the payroll. There had to be a way of using him. So, as 1941 opened up, Wohl was sent to the United States. There, he made the rounds of the various news networks and profiled Hitler's psychology. Clearly, the man was deranged, and it was only a matter of time before he was killed or overthrown. As all this transpired in the last 12 months of the U.S. remaining neutral, Wohl did remarkably well with his other predictions. But again, it has to be said that he was trying to bring the United States into the war, and at the very least, trying to make the Allied position seem as strong as he could, to get Washington to give whatever aid they were willing to, while at the same time ramping up their own war machine. Wohl predicted the death of Hitler's mistress, which only a few Nazis knew of her existence. But really, how hard is it to predict that a leader of a country has a mistress? And, as he had predicted Hitler's death within a few years, surely the mistress would suffer the same fate. As for his prediction that the Germans would suffer a loss in the East, that was more brazen, as the Wehrmacht seemed well on its way to another stunning victory. Wohl's last main contribution, if that word can be used, to the war effort, was when he was recalled back to beleaguered England to write up a translation of Nostradamus verses that predicted the downfall of the Third Reich. The writing was, of course, all Wohl's, but his Nostradamus predicts the course of the war, which came out in 1943, was well-timed, as by then the tide was beginning to turn against the Axis powers. Not that credit should go to this man. 
As a bad experience can turn one off of dairy or certain types of alcohol, Hitler was about to walk away from astrology, but only after leaving a bomb in his place. In May of 1941, just before Operation Barbarossa was launched, there were those of the Nazi inner circle who were concerned about taking on the USSR for all its supposed faults before Britain was finished off, with either a military victory or some kind of negotiated peace. One of the most worried individuals was Rudolf Hess, the deputy leader of the Nazi party, the number three man of the Third Reich. Hess had held a fascination with occultism all his adult life and surrounded himself with such people, always looking to glean any insight of the future, if possible. However, it must be said that Hess was not helped by his occultism, as in when he lost many of his responsibilities to that desk jockey and opportunist, Martin Bormann, nor by astrology that perhaps he should have seen this coming. Hess's idea was to fly to Britain itself and there negotiate a peace between the two rivals. It's possible that Hess believed with this trip he could, in one swift stroke, save the fatherland and regain his place by Hitler's side. Now, whether it's from a mental disorder, his own interpretation of his place in history, or the supposed dream of Professor Karl Haushofer of the Lebensraum idea, who told Hess that he saw the deputy leader in his dream striding through the tapestried halls of English castles. Either way, Hess carefully planned out his secret mission before Russia was invaded to get to the British to work out a deal. Namely, Britain would be allowed to keep its empire and the Third Reich would have dominion over Europe. The two great Nordic nations would put away their swords. Alas, Hess had decided this course of action on his own. He did not get the authority of Hitler. As for London, the British government by then had firmly come around to Churchill's and others' determined stance against the aggressor Nazi state. Hence, Hence's idea was doomed to fail on either end. Now, going back a bit, it is believed that Professor Haushofer's son, Albrecht, encouraged Hess's trip to Scotland as his mother was half-Jewish and thus harassed by the Nazis. If it weren't for Hess making her an honorary German, her fate would have been most grim indeed. Even further, the younger Haushofer, per Hess's bidding, wrote a letter to the Duke of Hamilton, Douglas Douglas Hamilton, a fellow aviator. The Germans believed that the Duke was one of the leaders of the opposition party to Churchill's government. On May 10, 1941, Hess took off at 5.45 p.m. from Bavaria. His trip was indeed remarkable and shows his conviction, borne out, by his bravery. He was chased by three Spitfires, but they could never locate him. In the end, Hess parachuted out as he was running out of fuel at Flores Farm, Inglesham, south of Glasgow, 
and was found by local plowman David McLean. Hence his desire to meet the Duke never came off. He was put under arrest. Just before Hess left, he wrote a letter to Hitler of his intentions. This was given to his adjutant, Karl Heinz Pinch. The letter was in Hitler's hand the next day, around noon of May 11th. Upon reading its contents, Hitler supposedly screamed so loud as to be heard throughout the Berghof, his home in the Alsatzberg of the Bavarian Alps. Next, Hitler ordered his inner circle to him, just in case this was another putsch. After his initial fear of being driven from power left him, Hitler turned his anger and disappointment towards Hess, who had been a loyal lapdog for years. Blaming Hess's fascination and obsession with occultism, Hitler deemed that had to be the reason for his madness. Though word was put out that Hess was suffering from a wound from the Great War, Hitler had Bormann issue the Action Hess, the banning of all forms of non-Aryan occultism. In the early morning hours of June 9th, occult booksellers, fortune tellers, and certain therapists were dragged out of their beds and had their occult-related items burned before them, while their owners were questioned by the Gestapo. But unlike the Knight of the Long Knives, most of these people were let go, but only after they swore never again to dabble in the dark arts. However, some refused or did not answer the questions to the Gestapo's satisfaction. They ended up in concentration camps. As for Hess, Hitler stripped him of all offices, ordered that he be shot on sight, and his position as deputy Führer was abolished. Bormann, his replacement's title, would be head of the party chancellery. Hess would spend the rest of his life in jail and hang himself in 1987, age 93. Whatever passing interest Hitler had with the occult, it was for him now over. Besides which, by early 1941, Hitler had come to believe in his own infallibility and thus did not need the assistance or guidance from such. And yet he remained superstitious by nature. But as the war turned against him, instead of going back to the forces beyond scientific understanding, he only went deeper into himself and there created a world where he was the master of all.